You are listening to John DeYard's Life Spa, your premier source for health news in Ayurveda, where modern science meets ancient wisdom. Hi, my name is Dr. John DeYard, and welcome to our podcast here at lifespa.com, where we prove ancient medical wisdom with modern science. And today I want to talk about the pros and cons of a ketogenic diet from the Ayurvedic perspective. Now, the, the, the trend, uh, I call it the, the dietary pendulum, has swung and it continues to swing into extremes. Uh, we had a, a, for many years now, the paleo diet, which was a, a very, very high protein and a very high fat, kind of low carbohydrate diet, uh, kind of on the heels of the Atkins diet and the South Beach diet and many variations on that theme. Although the paleo diet, according to the best researchers, suggests that there really wasn't anything, didn't really have anything to do with how the paleolithic people actually ate. It was really interesting in one study that I found in the book, uh, the, the Story of the Human Body by Daniel Lieberman, who's a Harvard professor. And he, found, he did a, a really in-depth analysis of the amount of proteins and carbs and fats that the ancient, our ancient uh, hunter-gatherer ancestors ate in the paleolithic period as well as our modern humans today eat today. And they found that the amount of proteins and fats and carbohydrates that we argue over constantly are relatively identical to what they ate then and what we eat today within about 5%. So the argument that we ate nothing but a high protein, high vegetable, no carb diet, you know, thousands of years ago is really been simply disproven. What I want to get into though today is, is this, the, the trend towards ketogenesis. Now, I want to make it clear that it is very natural for the human body to go into ketogenesis. It is very natural for the human body to burn ketones, which is fat, as a, as a alternative, and in some cases, primary source of fuel. But it isn't natural to be on a ketogenic diet for any extended period of time, any length of time. And this is, this is, you know, and I have a lot of science that I'm going to share with you today, uh, kind of supporting that idea that there are definitely short-term benefits of starvation diets, um, which is what the ketogenic diet is. The body will burn ketones, which is your own fat, of course, make you lose weight when there isn't a significant amount of food available. It's part of our survival mechanism. So when you actually go into a survival period of time where there is no food, a famine happens, you have enough reserve ability to deliver fats as a source of fuel and get you through that famine. In fact, studies show that when we actually go into a starvation diet like that, our cells literally live longer, our mitochondria make more energy, and genetically we are well adapted. In fact, we thrive when we starve as opposed to we think we would, we, our body would do kind of worse and not be as efficient. And it absolutely, we are hardwired and genetically engineered to thrive during periods of starvation through a process of ketogenesis, thus the ketogenic diet. However, there are many ways to become ketogenic. And the current trend is to become ketogenic by eating a very high fat diet. And um, we have two major sources of fuel in the body. One is kind of carbohydrates, which is glucose. And the other one is our fats. 
And um, when we eat too much of both of those, which we do in America, we overshoot the, the fuel supply runway. And the body's gonna store fat, whether you eat too much protein, well, too much carbohydrate, or even too much fat. That's what's gonna happen. Your body's gonna store and spill the extra over as fat. In one study, they showed that people in America eat way too much. They showed that people eat about 100% of the food that they actually need. And then we go ahead, just for the heck of it, and eat another 100% of the food we don't actually need. And the studies show that when people eat less food, to the tune of 20 to 30%, less than the extra 100% they're already eating, so they're already still eating about 70 80% more than they actually need, and there was some mind-boggling benefits, including weight loss, low cardiovascular risk, lower blood pressure, lower anxiety, more stability, lower body mass index, a host of benefits that, that uh, they suggest that calorie restriction in this way has off the charts across the board be some of the most beneficial things we can do for the human body. And it's, it, it triggers a, a Nobel Prize winning um, effect called um, autophagy, which autophagy is the, is the ability for the body to gobble up toxins in between the cells and clean house in the body. And autophagy spelled autophagy. Auto means automatically, phagy means like a phagotysis, gobbling up toxins. So autophagy is this ability to clean house in your body. And that happens when you go into ketosis by not eating that much food during periods of famine, okay? And as I mentioned, there are absolutely periods of time when the human body went into famine, very recently and historically and evolutionarily. There's just no question about that. And like I said, we genetically evolved to thrive during those periods. So it's a very, very important time. But before I get into the, 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 the idea of, of uh, autophagy, as well as getting into the idea of how to become, um, how to go into ketosis safely, through the idea of starvation or famine, I wanna talk about the actual diet that we have today that's on the market that is considered the ketogenic diet. This diet started in the 1920s where they started giving uh, young children with epilepsy a very high fat diet, 70 to 80 to 85% fat as their diet. That's a significant amount of fat and it actually had a significant benefit in epilepsy for young children. And to this day, it's considered a standard diet for epilepsy and, and a standard diet for a handful of neurological conditions, including Parkinson's and things like that. However, it's not without side effects. It's not without risk, okay? So what I wanna do, and I wrote a blog about this, it'll be coming out this week as well, that I'd like you to read, which is, it's a blog about some of the risks that are, go along with the ketogenic diet. There are numerous studies that show that going on a ketogenic diet, in the more common modern ketogenic diet today is about 70% of your diet is fat, 5% of your diet is carbohydrates, and about 25% of your diet is protein. It is really clear that the, the risks of a high protein high fat diet and a low carb diet 
are definitely there, mostly because of the excess amount of protein. So the newer versions of this diet are definitely higher fat, lower protein, and very, very low carb. What I find extraordinary about the ketogenic diet today and the ketogenic diet of yesterday and the paleo diet for that matter um, is that it keeps changing and it keeps morphing. We keep figuring out, oh, that wasn't so good. If you go ketogenic and go high protein, high fat, you're going to end up with a lot of uh, different side effects, kidney problems, cardiovascular risks, you know, high cholesterol, extra uric acid issues that are more problematic. Um, and that's now well-documented. So the current trend today is, oh, don't do the high protein and the high fat. You got to do the high fat and a little bit of low protein. And this is why I love what we do here at LifeSpa, which is we prove ancient medical wisdom with modern science. And the cool thing about ancient medical wisdom and typically, you know, principles that have been practiced for thousands of years, like in Ayurvedic medicine, they've been practicing these principles for thousands of years. And, and again, by no means is the, um, the Ayurvedic, uh, you know, principles Vedic or Hindu or religious in any way. It is a universal system of medicine based on an in-depth study of nature. One of my best teachers when I was studying in India, I went there for a three-week vacation in 1986 and came back a year and a half later um, after having a really in-depth study of Ayurveda. And my teacher, one of my teachers said to me, he goes, Ayurveda is not Hindu. It's not Indian. It's universal. It's a system of medicine that studies nature in depth, and it applies to every culture and every geography around the world. So from that perspective, I think it's really important to realize that, that this is a, 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 a diet and a lifestyle and a, and, a, and, a, uh, and a body of knowledge that hasn't changed in thousands and thousands and thousands of years, which is what I love about it, which is why I write constantly three times a week about ancient medical wisdom and modern science. And when I first started doing this about 15 years ago, I thought for sure that I would run out of things to write about after the first week. And here I am so many years later, we have over 1500 articles and videos online. Um, and I'm just blown away by how much information there is linking what the ancient wisdom of Ayurveda knew, how they knew it thousands of years ago, I have no idea and what the modern science is actually telling us today. Fast forward to the ketogenic diet, of course, and we'll see that the ketogenic diet definitely had a lot, has lots of ancient wisdom that is now well proven and documented by modern science. But let's dig into some of the logic behind it. There are many, many benefits with regard to a ketogenic diet. There are no doubt, uh, you know, studies show that um, in a ketogenic diet, you'll see things like um, decreased body weight, decreased body mass index, abdominal circumference will get less, blood pressure, both systolic and diastolic will get less, uh, increase of HDLs, decrease of LDLs happen. Um, there just seems to be a, a better mood stability, better energy, people lose weight, they get ripped abs, all of these things that we want seem to be the benefit. But what is beginning to start to come in is some of the research done on the long-term effect of the ketogenic diet. No doubt there are short-term benefits, thus starvation and famine, hopefully, 
historically, evolutionarily, we're short-term in nature and not long-term. Otherwise, you know, we die because there's only so much, we can only stay in ketosis for, due to the fact that there's no food for a period of time before we run out of gas from, you know, the fat reserve that we have, if that makes sense. So let me just read to you some of the science that, that, that um, I just thought it would be really important. And, and you have to understand, I am not knocking a ketogenic diet. In fact, I'm not even knocking a high fat ketogenic diet, which by the way, doesn't exist in nature. It never ever has been a diet that a traditional cultural body of humans ever ate. In fact, the only culture that actually has a naturally occurring ketogenic diet, high fat, 80%-ish diet available to them or the Inuits in the Arctic Circle. So this is the only culture that literally has the ability to eat a ketogenic diet naturally occurring. Everybody else, you know, does, doesn't eat that much fat. Just doesn't happen. There's grains and tubers that, that force them to have pretty much the same, you know, about 40% starch and about 30 to 40% protein and a good amount of fat. And this is, you know, sort of interesting, right? That, that the ancient humans and the modern humans, we have about the same proteins and carbs and fats in our diet. The one culture, and in fact, I, I, before I, I talk about that, there, there's one um, enzyme in our body called amylase, which is an enzyme for starch. And we acquired a gene, humans did, about 2 million years ago, no one's really sure exactly how long ago, to make the enzyme called amylase, which is specifically engineered for starch. So you gotta ask the question, why in the world would we, just, would we genetically acquire a gene to make an enzyme for starch if we weren't eating any starch? You really have to ask yourself that question. And I hope that I can answer that for you tonight. I'll give you a hint, it's seasonal. Amylase in your body increases in your body to this day in the fall when grains and nuts and seeds and fruits and all the sugars and starches are harvested and the tubers are harvested. And it decreases in the spring and summer. We are still circadian rhythmical beings hooked up to the natural cycles of nature. Okay, so the Inuits they are the only culture that actually had access to a naturally occurring ketogenic diet and they acquired a gene to not allow them to become ketogenic. Now I'm sure they would become ketogenic for short periods of time, but the overruling effect on a diet that was so overwhelmingly high in fat that they acquired a gene not to become ketogenic. You have to ask yourself again that question, why? Why do we have an enzyme for, for starch called amylase that we acquired two million years ago? Why do the people with a high fat diet, 80% diet, have a gene to not let them be ketogenic if it's actually that healthy for you? So let me read to you some of the studies that have been done to, to kind of flush out some of the, uh, the risks of a ketogenic diet. And once again, the science in the short-term effect is actually pretty good. There are some side effects you can have, but they're really, really good in the short term. But the risks here seem to be in the long term. Okay, so a ketogenic, ketogenic diet is linked to develop of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and insulin resistance. Now there are studies that show in the short term that, that uh, a ketogenic diet, a high fat diet is actually quite good for um, helping your blood sugar and, 
and uh, stabilizing your insulin and, and decreasing insulin resistance. But in the long term, it actually has been shown to increase insulin resistance. And when that happens, you end up with getting more fat stored in your liver. Studies show that after 12 weeks on a ketogenic diet, there was a significant weight loss compared to grain-fed mice. But the lean mass was significantly less after those 12 weeks on a ketogenic diet, suggesting that you lose weight, but your lean body mass was decreasing, which was interesting, something to have on your radar. One study showed that men on a low-carb, high-protein diet saw an increased risk of respiratory and cancer and colon cancer. So for men, there shows to some, there's some risk in cancer. So we have to have that on your radar. A ketogenic diet, during a ketogenic diet, there was a, this is an interesting, right? There was a 30% increased risk of visceral belly fat compared to chow-fed or grain-fed mice. Both versions of the ketogenic low-carb diet were tested. That's the high protein, high fat, and the high fat and low protein. So they did both, the modern keto diet and the sort of older keto diet. Overall fat percentages increased after five weeks on the ketogenic diet compared to the grain-fed diet. So they actually ended up having more fat, and again, once again, less lean body mass, suggesting that while, again, while the body may um, you know, do really well if you're just doing the fast, but if you sort of just like the carbs, if you overdo the carbs, you'll store the excess as, as extra sugar as fat. If you overdo the fats, you'll store the excess as fat. And that's what this diet is showing. More fat, less lean mass. Interesting, right? And I'm, the, the, you can go to the references and read the references of these studies. So I'm not just making this up because I know a lot of people are very convinced and there is good science, don't get me wrong, about the benefits of the ketogenic diet. Many of them are short-term, and that's my point here. Longer-term effects of the ketogenic actually saw a reversal in weight loss. During the first week, there was initial weight loss, but after 18 weeks, the weight returned to baseline and started to increase gradually. Once again, the ketogenic diet seemed to offer numerous short-term benefits, such as decreased body weight, BMI, abdominal circumference, blood pressure, triglycerides, glucose, hemoglobin A1C, cholesterol, good LDLs, you know, good HDLs, but there was this, after three big meta-analysis studies, they found this thing called the possible duration effect, where the benefits seem to decrease over time. That is interesting, and we'll tie that to seasonal understanding, the Ayurvedic understanding here in a minute. Other, other risk factors show arterial stiffness in children and young adults treated with a ketogenic diet, uh, this supports the idea that arterial stiffness is an early marker for cardiovascular risk. Um, although after the diet was over, things got back, came back to normal. Uh, cholesterol levels um, also can go up, but they go back to normal once you stop the diet. Uh, other side effects include constipation, hypoglycemia, gastroesophageal reflex, reflux, kidney stones, uh, growth disturbances, acidosis, cardiovascular risk, cramps, heart palpitations, low or decreased physical performance, gallstones, rash, and hair loss. So um, those are some of the things I think we should all have on our radar as to why, uh, why we should um, be a little bit aware of the long-term risk factors of a ketogenic diet. So what does that mean? Let's kind of talk about the benefits 
of a ketogenic and how and why that might be good. So um, um, every springtime, there's a naturally occurring famine. People do their fastings religiously in the spring. We have Shivaratri in, the, in India. We have Ramadan in the Muslim faith. We have uh, Passover in the Jewish faith. We have Lent in the Christian faith. We have uh, Vision Quest for the Native Americans, always in the spring. So the spring is the famine time of the year on the heels of the feast, which is the fall. In the fall, we're harvesting nuts and seeds and grains and legumes and fruits and tubers and potatoes and all this starch, which is why we have amylase, the enzyme to digest it in the fall to help us pig out on all this stuff and even become a little on the diabetic side, overwhelm the body with sugar and fat. And that extra sugar and fat stores as excess uh, fuel, reserve fuel for the long winter, excess fat is insulation so we can survive the long cold winter. But by spring, we're generally oftentimes running out of fuel or running out of food. And what's coming out of the ground isn't much. Here we are talking about this in the springtime. And if you think about it, if you were living off the land in the spring, it would be uh, a little bit on the austere side, slim pickings. They would watch the deer dig up the roots and they said, hey, they must be doing something. So they went up and dug up the, dug up the roots and they would be eating bitter dandelion roots and golden seal and Oregon grape and, and burdock root and all these roots that were very astringent and very bitter that clean and scrub your intestinal tract. Perfect thing to do in the springtime. Those roots turn out to be loaded with spring brand new 2018 microbes because every spring there's a microbial surge in the soil and all those little microbes attach to the roots. And when you dig up those roots and you put them in your mouth and you eat them, you inoculate your gut with this year's version of the best bugs possible. And this is what happens in the springtime. Naturally occurring, we are repopulating our gut with this year's bugs. This is now hard science. You know, it's something I wrote about in my book back in 2000 called The Three-Season Diet. We have a three-season diet challenge, where, as you all know, we publish a free grocery list and recipe list and superfood list for every single month of the year for free called The Three-Season Diet Challenge. Anybody can get it. We have about 60,000 people get it for free every month, and they love it. And it's only all there for you to get reacquainted with circadian medicine, which is ancient wisdom, by the way, and get your bright bugs from the soil, onto your food, eat it organically, eat it in season, and get those bugs to inoculate your gut so you can decongest in the spring with the right bugs. You can you know, get rid of heat in the summer with the right summer bugs, and you can boost immunity in the winter with the right bugs of the winter because that's what we're designed to do. New Stanford studies have now backed that and found that to be hard fact. I found studies years ago finding that the gut that the bugs in the soil change dramatically from season to season. They surge in the spring. I'm going, if they surge in the spring and they're attached to roots and we're supposed to eat those roots, I promise you, those gut bugs are supposed to change inside of us seasonally. Now, after 10 years or so, we actually, more than that, 16 years, uh, we actually have the hard science to back that up. So I think it's pretty cool. It's just, again, ancient wisdom finally being proved by modern science, right? How cool is that? But well, we gotta do it now, right? We have to get the food, eat those organic foods that are not sprayed because you kill the bugs when you spray it. And that's why all of our herbs at lifespot.com 
the vast majority of them anyway, are whole organic herbs that are loaded with microbes. So, you're, so they're really, when you eat them in a seasonal way, you're inoculating your gut with natural probiotics, really the original probiotics in that regard. So every spring, we eat things like dandelion root tea and, and burdock root tea and you know, very austere foods. There's the, the leafy greens and the sprouts, although they're loaded with nutritional value, eh, they don't really stick to your ribs. So you get used to and forced into a naturally occurring ketogenic diet. Only this ketogenic diet is happening because you are not eating anything. You are eating significantly less food. This is the original calorie restriction that happens to everybody, to every culture for thousands upon thousands, even millions of years. We got here because of that. We are part of the circadian rhythms that suggest that we should not eat so much in the spring. It should be spinach salads and and some, some early spring berries like the strawberries which should be out soon in my garden anyway, they're about ready to pop. Um, so things like that are very austere. The roots are, are very, very in a way low in fat and low in calories, forcing your body to burn your own fat as fuel. Now, so one of the, 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 the tricks though is to train your body to not be, to train your body to not have to leave the table stuffed. I did an interview, a podcast with Dan Buettner, the, the author of uh, the Blue Zone books. And one of the major strategies of the people who live in the Blue Zones, where people live on average uh, or more regularly over 100 years old, the centenarian societies, is that they don't eat that much and they don't leave the table Full. They leave the table 70%, 80% max full. So the springtime now is a time for us to start to cultivate that, to cultivate the ability to eat less food, leave the table more hungry. We can do that by eating, uh, by eating uh, less food, of course, by drinking more water uh, in between meals to stay hydrated because hydration blocks appetite and cravings. So that's one way to sort of hack the need to eat feeling throughout the day, which is a really cool thing to be able to pull off. Even one study showed that people drink a big glass of water a half an hour before the meal, lost significantly more weight than people who didn't. And that drinking that big glass of water does a couple of things. One, it prehydrates your stomach lining, which is where you make the acid. And by prehydrating it, that water is made used to make bicarbonate. 90% of the bicarbonate that buffers the acid in your stomach is water. So when you prehydrate your stomach with water, it buffers, helps support a better buffering layer so you can make more acid, cook more food, have a big barbecue, go for it. That's what turns on your digestion, but it also fills your stomach up and sort of satiates you in some way and curbs your appetite. So, so two good reasons why a big glass of water a half an hour before the meal is a wonderful way to curb the appetite, but not with the meal that much more. That would dilute your digestive enzymes. This, on the other side of the coin, will strengthen them. Big difference, don't get that confused. So, so learning, how to, learning how to leave the table without being so full is really critically important. I am also not against, in any way, shape, or form, people having a higher fat diet 
to morph them into ketogenesis this time of the year. Because one thing that absolutely is not here this time of the year is wheat and grain. They're not harvested until the fall. So even though I wrote the book, Eat Wheat, um, and I talk about seasonal understanding of this in detail in the book, it's not an everyday grain for the rest of your life. It's a seasonal grain, like everything's seasonal. So it doesn't come till the fall. So this is grain-free, wheat-free season right now. We shouldn't be eating any bread, really reducing it the very best you can. You know, we shouldn't be, and glutinous grains are thicker, stickier grains. They generally go in the north, like wheat's a northern grain, very sticky, helps insulate you more, really good for the cold. Um, so the heavier grains are the more northern grains. Corn, for example, is a very dry grain. It's more of a southern grain. So the idea being that definitely, if you're going to eat any grains, try to eat less of the glutinous grains in the spring. But even if you can do it, don't have any grains this time of the year because they're not really available seasonally. And you can mitigate that with a more fat diet because you can definitely make the case in a historical sense, in an evolutionary sense, that the ancient hunter-gatherer ancestors maybe have gotten fish. And they definitely probably had to do more hunting because there was nothing coming out of the ground. So they figured out a hunt, although hunting isn't really that recent, 500,000 years out of a 3.5 million year kind of homo uh, erectus type of a evolutionary path. So we have, you know, not that long, but 500,000 years will usually do it for, you know, for genetic adaptations. So point being is that, that there was definitely the option to have meals that were very high fat in the spring. Cheese, something that uh, maybe 5,000 years old was uh, definitely higher in fat and could last through the winter. Definitely in Austria, in the mountains of Switzerland, they're loaded with salt mines, the Salzburg, they'd rub the, the curdled raw cheese called sour cheese or sour quesa in, in, in Austria. They rub it with salt, create a hard shell, and that stuff would last till spring. So it isn't uncommon in an evolutionary sense for us to have a higher fat diet and a very low carbohydrate diet this time of the year. Because when you think of carbohydrates, you think of fruits and starchy vegetables and grains and nuts and seeds and all that is fall harvested. And none of that's happening right now. So to really map the original ketogenic diet, you could do a high fat diet, a high vegetable diet, and absolutely a very, very low carbohydrate diet. Diz the season. I'm all on board with that. And I love that. And that's the diet that I'm eating right now. And I love that diet. I think it's great. But that doesn't mean you can eat that for the rest of your life because the studies show long-term effects, short-term incredible benefit, long-term the benefits start to reverse. So if I can make plead one case is, yeah, this diet's great. You're going to lose weight, get ripped abs. You're going to feel better and buffed and lose all that winter weight, which is great. But the long-term effect, please think about connecting with the rhythms of nature. And it's okay to gain a few pounds in the fall for storing some insulation in the winter because that's our circadian clock. And to go against that clock, acting as if I can just be ripped all year long, you know, it means that we're saying, I don't need those fall bugs. I don't need those spring bugs. I don't need those summer bugs to change and morph. And they're making up, you know, the, the vast majority of the cells in your body, significantly more of the DNA in your body than the human version of you. So you really want to do things to support those microbes and how important that is. 
one study that, that I talk a lot about that I, that I love real quick is when they took deer and they had them eat bark in the winter, they had certain bugs for bark in the winter and they have certain different bugs for eating leaves in the summer. And when the deer was given bark in the wintertime, they didn't have, they didn't have the, the right bugs. They, had, they didn't have the right bugs for the bark in the summer and it caused such a level of indigestion that it actually almost killed the deer. Once again, freaked me out when I heard that. And I was like, how in the world do deer die when they eat out of season or potentially die? And we get away with it by not even recognizing what's in season at all. All the packaged food that can be sold any day of the week, any month of the year is completely not seasonal. It's highly processed and preserved. How do we get back to eating and reconnecting with those powerful rhythms of nature. I really believe it's important. It's the future. This year, Nobel Prize winning science was all about, was all about circadian medicine. Last year, Nobel Prize winning science was all about autophagy, which is all about the ability to eat less and fast intermittently and gain the benefits of intermittent fasting. And that's what happens to all of us every single, well, supposed to, every single spring. So I highly encourage you to get our three season diet um, um, challenge recipes and start, spring is not over yet, we're only in May. We have all May and June to kind of really clean house and make all that happen. So what are the other strategies to make that happen? Oh, one other thing I wanna talk about too, um, which I think is really important this time of the year, is to re-educate your microbiome, right? Because we all know the bugs rule the show, right? In other words, you, all of us, crave certain foods that we love. We love our pasta, we love our French toast, we love our pancakes, maybe you don't love those things. Um, maybe you love your, your brand muffins, your starchy foods, your coffee, your ice cream, your dark chocolate, your kitchery, if you're really one of the lucky ones. We have acquired microbes to eat the foods and digest the foods that we eat on a regular basis better. So the more you eat of a certain food, the more of those kind of bugs you get to be able to deliver them better. So if you have a diet, which has been America, which is a high carbon diet, high grain diet, high fatty-ish diet, coffee in our diet, chocolate in our diet, sugars in our diet, things like that, we become really good at creating bugs to deliver sugar into the bloodstream. Thus, the epidemic of extra sugar in your blood obesity, thus the epidemic of prediabetes, one-third more, more than one-third of the population is prediabetic, and 90% of those folks, which is over 100 million people, don't know it. So this is the real factor. So how can you use this time of the year as a naturally occurring ketogenic diet to force you to burn, to create new bugs and to hang on to the bugs that are burning the new seasonal fuel? Are you with me? I hope you get this. This is so fascinating, really. Think about it. If you were eating coffee every day, well, coffee beans harvested this time of the year? No. Would you naturally occurring have coffee this time of the year? No. Would you have tea? No. Would you have caffeine? No. Would you have bread? No. So what if you got rid of all those things? 
and just ate vegetables and some fish, small amounts, and uh, maybe some cheese, hard cheese, good raw cheese that's been that's that's been sitting around for for a while. Three, you have to have raw cheese has to be sitting for at least three months in America to be sold. So therefore, all the little bugs in there gobble up all the casein, which we have a hard time digesting. Gobble up all the the sugar, the lactose in there, which you have, oftentimes have a hard time digesting. Most people have easy time doing that. And all of a sudden, you've got a diet that you don't that that you, that you don't really have that many bugs for because you haven't been eating that diet. Do you eat enough vegetables? Pigging out on vegetables because you, when you take all the stuff that you love out, you got to fill it up with something more fiber, like flax seeds and vegetables, things like garlic. You know, do, do you people eat garlic? I mean, very little. You know, unless you have a real traditional household where you're cooking in a traditional fashion. Most folks don't eat much garlic. It's an amazing medicine. It lowers blood sugar. It does amazing things for your gut and gets rid of the bad bugs, helps support good bugs. That could be something that you could help train your gut bugs to do garlic this time of the year. My point is, is that this is a very great opportunity in the spring to break the microbial habit of feeding your bugs with the same foods so they just get good at doing that food and then overwhelm the body with that food and the body breaks down with that nutrient, that nutrient may be it sugar, possibly even fat if you were just doing fat. Maybe that's why the Inuits became, acquired a gene not to become ketogenic because they asked all they ate. So they had to stop doing that because anything in excess, right, is not good for us. And the dietary pendulum is just swinging to such a far extreme now that we're telling people to eat 75 to 85% of their diet as fat. And that, in the short term, like I said, may have a wonderful benefit. Tis the season to do that. And even in all throughout the winter, a good time to do that. But as we move into the summer months and into the fall months, we gotta be thinking to, to make a shift in, in that. So one thing that we do know for a fact that's happening as we speak in the spring is that really from a harvesting perspective, there's not a lot being harvested. So you, you go into a naturally occurring intermittent fasting diet. And when you don't eat that much, which includes one of the, the, the best ways to go ketogenic, simplest ways, is to make the time between dinner and breakfast at least 13 hours. Super, super simple to do that. Just a little bit of an earlier supper, maybe a little bit of a later breakfast, and you have 13 hours. That's one way to accomplish a reset of fat burning, going into a gentle ketogenesis. Another way is to just fast one day a week and just don't eat anything. You can do it with green juices. You can do it with uh, even, uh, you can do it with any type of juice if you want, or just water, but just fasting one day a week. If you wanna bite off a bigger bullet, you can do even more of that. Uh, our cleanses, our two-week Colorado cleanse, our four-day short-home cleanse, which is a free ebook, is a wonderful way of doing that. When Women's World Magazine did a focus group and had 40 people do my short home cleanse right off the ebook. They just downloaded it from my website for free. 40 people did it. They were losing 10 to 11 pounds in those four days. It was phenomenal. They did a feature story on it. Point being is when you, when you do the, the Ayurvedic reset of fat burning using ghee and kitchri, you take a little bit of ghee every morning, a little more, a little more, a little more, while you're having a completely no fat diet. The ghee, I can go on about ghee, but I won't, uh, why it's so important because uh, of its butyric acid content and 
and uh, the fact that our gut has bugs that make butyric acid and your, your bugs love butyric acid, your colon cells eat it, your immune system depends on it. Crazy amount of information about why ghee is so important because it's the highest food source of butyric acid on the planet, which is really important. So you take ghee in the morning, which forces you to burn fat, fusses your gallbladder, cleans you out, but also feeds your gut with butyric acid. But it also helps your body get into fat burning, boom, in the first thing in the morning. And then no fat during the diet while you're taking kitchari, which is just a, a, a baby food, Ayurvedic superfood, convalescence food, rice and bean soup. The rice has been dehusked, the beans have been dehusked. They cook it with special spices for a period of time, and you eat that as, as a re a healing repair food for your intestinal tract while you're in resetting a fat burner. You do that for three days, and what you'll see after the second day or so all of a sudden you flip into fat burning officially, your appetite goes away, and now you reset fat burning for the spring. Super easy thing, you can do it right off, just get it my three season diet challenge, my, my, uh, my uh, short home cleanse ebook, it's right on my, in the, um, on my website under the learn tab, hang a left, and the ebooks are there, and you can get that for free. Great way to kind of kick off fat burning and ketogenesis this time of the year in the spring. And like I said, it's a free ebook, tells you how to do it. Yes, there is kits you can buy from us to get all the herbs in the kitchery at a really super discount, under $100 for four days worth of food and all the herbs you need. It's not about you have to do it with me. The book is for free. The knowledge to do it all by yourself for free is there. So please know that as well. But some of the science about uh, intermittent fasting is really, really benefit. Some of the science on the short home cleanse showed that people in one study after doing the ghee cleanse lost significant amount of heavy metals detox heavy metals and pesticides for one study for six weeks after the cleanse was done and another study for three months after the cleanse was done. So that was amazing and it's called lipophilic mediated detox, which means you use good fats to hook onto bad fats and you pull them out. And that's what the Ayurveda concept was, just off the charts brilliant that they figured that out. Again, we have hard science to back it up. But just not eating, which happens in the springtime, eating spinach salads and lower calorie foods and more water to stay hydrated, things like that show decreased diabetic risk, decreased cardiovascular risk, improved longevity, protection against cancer, reduced risk of neurological concerns, decreased inflammation, balanced lipid levels, reduced blood pressure, reduced oxidative stress, and balanced weight. And those are all some of the benefits that you get when you, uh, when you um, eat a, uh, a very sort of ketogenic-esque diet. So there's, in, in summary, two ways to become ketogenic. One, eat more fat and definitely low carb. So the spring is the low carb diet time of the year. Definitely that way. You can become ketogenic two ways, low carb, high fat in your diet, which is actually okay in the spring from an evolutionary sense, or you can go ketogenic by actually doing a very um, low carbohydrate diet and a low calorie diet by doing more intermittent fasting, learning to eat less, learning to leave the table at 70% full without filling yourself up and doing it that way. And always, always, always thinking about earlier supper. And then my, my, my favorite way, which I do this time of year, is this time of year I eat two meals a day. I have a breakfast and a kind of a late lunch and then that's it for the day. And that's one of the ways that I do ketogenesis uh, this time of the year. 
which is super easy and, and super comfortable, really. I, I don't even feel hungry, and I definitely lose weight this time of the year in a significant way. All right, so I asked you guys to for some questions before we started this, so I have a handful of questions here. I'm going to read them and then answer them for you guys, and then uh, I think we'll be, we'll be done, and I hopefully um, you have a, a good sense of the ancient wisdom of ketogenesis and that the ketogenic diet that we see today was invented in 1920. The ketogenic diet that I'm talking to you about was never invented. It was just how we got here. Um, most of the people suffering with diabetes follow a ketogenic diet to over, follow a ketogenic diet to overcome the disease. They happily live with the ketogenic without any complications of diabetes. Uh, moreover, that said, they get rid of their diabetes because of uh, high fat, low carb foods. What is your opinion following a ketogenic, ketogenic diet from someone suffering from type two diabetes and cardiovascular patients? Could you suggest the right diet for heart patients with type two diabetes? Well, that risk of the one demographic that is at risk of a ketogenic diet is ketogenic acid or ketoacidosis, which is really at risk for people who are, have diabetes. So that's, you have to be careful not to do that. However, I am a fan of, with diabetics, teaching them to be better fat burners because the more we can encourage them to burn fat, the less onus of the fuel is dependent on sugar. Because what happens when we just do sugar, we, we use way, way too much insulin. And there's an enzyme called the insulin degrading enzyme. And what that enzyme does is it actually takes the plaque out of your brain and it takes the extra sugar out of your brain and it helps deal with any extra sugar in your body that, or in areas that could cause plaque, like even your arteries. But if your insulin degrading enzyme is constantly doing sugar, then it may not have the oomph to do the plaque and that can cause real problems. So one thing we wanna make sure that we're doing is, is taking the onus off of the sugar out of the body for everybody. And this of course happens in a, historically in a very seasonal way. So this is the time of the year to really help a type two diabetic, you know, lower their, definitely lower their starch in, intake, increase their fat, increase and start to nudge them from eating little meals throughout the day, which were, that was the culture for many years for diabetics. And now the newer rules are saying three meals a day is what they should be doing. And I wholeheartedly agree with that, that, um, that we should be doing that. And then you have to sort of play and nudging how low carb you can go by keeping an eye on your blood sugar and not putting yourself in harm's way. Um, would, a, would a ketogenic diet upset kapha dosha with all the fat consumption? How do you feel, how do you feel light when you eat all fat? Great question, but um, um, uh, it's a good question and I don't wanna go down a rabbit hole here, but, but um, we have a thing called the gallbladder that has a sack of bile that is 20, 15 to 25 to 20 times concentrated bile, which is a heck of a lot of bile. We don't eat that, most people in America don't eat that kind of fat. Even people on a ketogenic diet don't eat enough fat to make them burn 20 times concentrated a whole sack of bile. Maybe eating the brains of a woolly mammoth in one sitting may have, because they had to eat the fatty food part of the animals first because that part would go bad. You could dry the meat, eat it later, but the fat you had to eat right then and there. And maybe that's why we evolved out this big sack in this gallbladder. And the bile, if we don't 
eat enough fat in the diet will actually um, can get reused up to 17 times because the body, when you, when you have a lot of fat in your diet and you flush more bile and have a lot of fiber in your diet to take the bile to the toilet, it, you continue to make new bile. The other thing that the hunter-gatherers did have was about five times more fiber in their diet than the average human does today. And the fiber takes the bile to the toilet. So if you eat a lot of high fiber diet and a high fat diet, the high fat diet is gonna force you to burn, to get the bile, to gobble up the fats and get the bile into the toilet. The fiber takes it to the, I'm sorry, the fiber, the, let me start over. The, the high fat diet is gonna get the bile into your small intestine where it can scrub and clean your intestinal tract. The bile will take it to the toilet. But if you don't have enough, the fiber will take it to the toilet. If you don't have enough fiber in your diet, up to 94% of that bile can go back to your liver. And it can be reused up to 17 times to keep helping the body burn more fat as a way to endure starvation, famine. Um, but what we, how we do it today, because we don't have enough fiber and maybe even not enough fat in our diet, that we end up in a situation where the bile gets thicker and more viscous, the toxins get reabsorbed in the bile, sort of the toxins in tow with the bile back to the liver and dump all those toxins back into the liver, which is why the combination of more bile and more fiber provide a perfect combination for that to happen. Now that happened in nature quite naturally. Every winter, the nuts and the seeds and the grains and the flax and all the soluble fibers, oatmeal, flax, were harvested in the spring and all that soluble fiber was coating and sliming and insulating and lubricating your gut all winter long. Then when the ground softened and you can dig up those roots that, that were loaded with spring bugs, and you ate those bitter roots, they would scrub clean your intestinal tract and they would all the bugs would land and inoculate your bug, your gut with this year's version of good healthy microbes. And guess what they love to eat? The soluble fiber, all the slimy, oats and grains and nuts and seeds you've been laying all winter long. So they are in absolute heaven. So this is how nature set up a plan that we would keep the gut perfectly healthy throughout the year. So, so, so in a lot of ways, you think that a high fat diet would cause more kapha, but in fact, it forces more bioflow, which is cleaning the kapha off your villi, which is why historically there were higher fat opportunities in the springtime as well as there was in the end of the summer as part of the feast time of the year. Um, uh, can, we gain, uh, can we gain fat weight from this? I think I talked to you about the fact that we do gain fat weight from this. So that, we, that was some of the studies we did, more visceral fat, more body fat. Um, can this really, can a ketogenic diet really help our health? I think I answered that question. It's a seasonal thing. This is not a diet for the long term. And if you do it long term, like the Inuits, they created a gene not to do it. So I have a hard time going any further than that. Plus the new science is showing that there's this kind of reverse paradoxical effect if you do it for a long period of time. Also, I've seen, um, I have been sitting on the sidelines of many Facebook keto pages and watching the amazing results people are having from keto. I'm an Ayurvedic practitioner, and it seems to divide much of we taught we are taught regarding the diet. The Ayurvedic diet is very heavy in carbohydrates. And I wonder 
what the long-term effects of eating this are. So I probably should have read these questions in the beginning, but I think I answered that question. Um, uh, I get that this is a therapeutic diet for people diagnosed with a condition such as diabetes and PCOS and things like that. But for older women who are struggling with weight loss and have tried everything, is this a safe approach? Absolutely, you know, calorie restriction is absolutely Ayurvedic and absolutely the culture. You know, eating, you know, I, I really do believe that if I take everybody and say, okay, you're going to have, you know, a really low fat diet, a really low carb or no carb or no starch diet, and you're just eating vegetables and things like that. I don't think that the, that the average American could pull that off. This is why just getting through the spring historically was an endurance event. It was a miracle. A lot of people didn't make it through the spring. You know, that's all the vision quests and the fasting and Ramadan and Shivaratri and Lent and, and, and Passover. All of those were, you know, sort of like praying for food because there was nothing happening. We were waiting for the food to come in. So, so I think that, that most people don't burn fat efficiently enough as we did historically to, because we're so edging on prediabetes, to be able to actually do that. So having a, a low carb diet, which is clearly not seasonal right now, and a higher uh, fat diet, which absolutely can be seasonal, is actually a, a decent way to make that adjustment. Um, um, I've done the ketogenic diet before. It seemed to go better for menopause uh, rather than after. Um, um, hard to know exactly if that's a menopausal thing for everybody or just an individual thing. I don't know if I can answer that one. I had my 23andMe uh, DNA stuff done, and I have some genetic issues um, um, dealing with processed or saturated fat. Um, so um, I really do believe that, that, and this is not me speaking, this is a lot of really more recent science suggesting that we sort of jumped the gun on genetic interpretations from like 23andMe and these factors. and and uh, that 75 to 80% the new science suggests is of, of what makes us tick is diet and lifestyle. And what they're finding is that there are, there are other factors besides just the genetic expressions or epigenetic expressions that turn off and turn on genes that we can literally change by our diet and lifestyle so we can turn off and turn on gene expressions and we can do that. And what we know about genetic information and how to turn them on and off is really, really infantile and and, but I think jumping to conclusions based on that, thinking that I'm you know, doomed because of this genetic weak link, I think is just bad business. And we shouldn't have been told that because it's hard to get out of our head. I get that. But uh, I really don't think that that's something that um, we, uh, we can do. We, we need to kind of put that on the back burner until we know more. Can you do a ketogenic diet without a gallbladder? Uh, yes, you can. In fact, you know, again, baby steps towards a low fat to our, or towards a low carb diet, which happens in the spring, and gently play with your fats to support yourself in that regard. Um, uh, if you have type 2 diabetes and heart disease, should you do a ketogenic diet? Again, the same answers. We have to be very careful, but definitely doable. And in the short term, there's actually good science to back it up. Um, uh, is it true that cancer cells feed on sugar but not ketones? That is true. Um, in general sense, uh, I'm not sure that there are no cancers that do ketones, but generally speaking, if they do sugar. Um, what are the long-term effects of a ketogenic diet? 
Um, can I eat a ketogenic diet if I'm a vegetarian? Absolutely. The only thing you have to take out of your diet is fish, um, meat, chicken. Uh, but um, it depends on if you're a vegan or not. That would be more nuts and seeds, of course, more oils, more avocados, uh, things like that. So you can definitely do it. Um, and then this person was on a ketogenic diet for a period of time and wants to get off of it and wondering how to do it. And I would, again, do it gradually. Everything should be gradually. And is there, are there risks with uh, kidney issues with the ketogenic diet? Only in the version where there's high fat and high protein are there, are there issues. Okay, so I think that's it. I hope that I've helped you guys get a little bit more of an understanding or at least opened your mind to, to think more about a ketogenic diet. Think about it, bottom line, long-term, probably not in our best interest. Short-term, this time of the year, probably a good idea. 85% fat, probably way too much. No culture really ever did that. And the one that did don't had a gene to not go into ketogenesis. So have put that, you know, into your, into your, uh, Pat, and think about it and, and uh, see if it all makes some sense. But I think what we're going to begin to see and what I see the science happening, emerging now, is the long-term effects are suggesting this to be short-term. And even when I talked to Dr. Joe Mercola, interviewed him on a podcast about his book called Fat for Fuel, even though in his book he did suggest that that ketogenic diet could be ongoing and, and, and no limits, uh, in the interview that I did with him, he definitely had changed his tune about that suggesting that the ketogenic diet should be short-term at best and that he was very much in line with a intermittent fasting way of digging into ketogenesis by doing intermittent fasting. And once again, in the Ayurvedic program, the logic of ancient wisdom doesn't change where I constantly see the modern uh, you know, understanding of ketogenesis keep changing and morphing, which I think is great, but I just think when you tie ancient wisdom to modern science, you have something that doesn't really change. And I feel like we can feel safe standing on that platform because it's not going to change in a month or two or three or four or a year or two or three or four. There's a couple of really great articles that I've written about this. You want more information? Um, watch the podcast with Dr. Joe Mercola. That was also really good as well. He's brilliant, good friend of mine. Um, and, um, and also check out the articles on ketogenic diets from the Ayurvedic perspective at lifespa.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. John Duyard.